Greetings, and welcome to Etzheim's weekly podcast, recorded live in Richardson, Texas. We invite you now to join us for one of our synagogue's Shabbat messages. Shabbat Shalom. Hallelujah. I finally get to uh, come up and share a message with you. David's been trying to get me up here for a while, but the last two years have just been so crazy with all the things that we've been doing. But thank you, Father, for allowing me to be here. Thank you, Ben, and the worship team. Wasn't that a great worship? I mean, breaking up the fallow ground so that the seeds of his word can be planted in our hearts and our minds so that the washing can come over us. Amen? Before I get started, I just want to turn to John 3. And I don't have a slide for this, so Kathy, bear with me a minute. But let's turn to John 3. And this is what the whole message is about. This is what the Lord has been putting on my heart. This is what we share when we go over to the Philippines. And I'm losing count of how many people we are immersed in now these last three to four years. I know we're up into the hundreds. I don't know quite how many we've been doing. But every year we go over there, 30, 40, 50 people in our short little trips that we go. I teach this message on immersion. And we go, as soon as it's done, we change and bam, we're in the pool and we're doing immersions. And we're having hands laid on people, and people are accepting Yeshua for the first time in their lives or rededicating themselves to Yeshua. And what does Yeshua tell us in John 3, in verse 5? He says, Most assuredly, I tell you, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And that's the message for today. That's the message in our lives and the message that we need to take from here and share with others as we go out into our homes and our communities and throughout the whole world. Notice he says, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So there's two elements there, the water and the Ruach, right? Working together so that we can go out and spread the word of God throughout the whole world. Amen? And you know, baptism immersion did not originate with Yeshua's cousin John, who was known as John the Immerser or John the Baptist. So I'm going to go through the history of immersion through the Tanakh and bring it up to Yeshua's time and bring it up to today and what we need to do in our lives to be immersed with this power from on high, so that we can go out and share the gospel with the world. If Yeshua can take 12 disciples in the Rav Shaul and go turn the world upside down, how much more can he do it with us right here sitting here today? Amen? So baptism was and is a biblical ritual called a tevilah, more commonly known as a mikvah that has been practiced regularly by all of Israel since the days of Moses. We call it immersion to distinguish that the whole body is immersed in water. We're not sprinkled, we're immersed totally in water. And why is that? As I get on, we're going to see exactly why it has to be total immersion. In the Torah... When a Jewish man or an Israelite during that time of the second temple went to the temple three times a year during Passover, Shavuot, and Sukkot, they would go into the mikvah before entering the temple to offer their sacrifices. When Elda and I were in Israel a few years ago, all around the temple they're doing excavations there, and you're going to see these mikvahs. And those who are coming with us this year, 
during Sukkot, you're going to see these mikvahs throughout the temple, throughout the wall, that people, when they entered into the temple courts, they went into this mikvah. The waters of the mikvah play an important role today as well. From pre-marriage to pre-Yom Kippur preparations to the purification of women after their menstrual cycle. This is what mikvah and purification practices are done today. You know, a lot of people think, well, you just immersed once and that's it. No, it's an ongoing thing. It's played out in different parts of our lives throughout our whole life. So the Kazadim or the ultra-Orthodox Jewish men, they go to the mikvah before Shabbat. So every Shabbat you may see these Kazadim down at the, at the mikvah pools going through a mikvah, and some go every morning during the week. For the observant Jew, though, the mikvah personifies both the womb and the grave. It is regarded as a rebirth and as a pure, unadulterated avenue of connection with God. And for that reason, it is a place where hope is reawakened and strengthened. Can you see how important this this plays out in, in our lives? So the word baptism, many of us probably know this, our Greek scholar John, he, he probably can pronounce it better than I can, but the word baptism comes from the Greek word baptizo, which primarily means a thorough change of condition, accomplished through immersion. It is substituted for the Hebrew word tevilah, which means to totally immerse. So this ritual immersion in water is carried out, as I said, in this mikvah, which is a Hebrew word which means gathering of the waters. Okay, we've seen that in the, in the New Testament where they would gather around the pool of Shalom where the gathering of the waters were and some were healed if they could get into the pool. So there's gathering of the waters and many people believe that when you're immersed, it should be live water, this flowing water, this gathering of waters, of, of spring, of live water. So here we have a picture on this next slide of the Yardinit on the Jordan River. And, and we've been there, and we don't know if this is the place where Yeshua is. There's a controversy of where exactly Yeshua was. But if you go to the land and you go to the Yardinit, you can go and you can go in here. And when you walk in this water, the first thing you're going to notice is these little fish are just like cleaning your, your, uh, your, your feet in your ankles, and you're wondering what's going on. And the whole Jordan River is proliferated with fish. It, it's an amazing thing. I've never seen so many fish in one place gathered in this, in, in this place. So you can go there and be immersed. And what immersion means is that it marks a change of status from being to, to May to Tahor. And what does that mean? It means from being ritually unclean, the Tameh, impure or unfit for the presence of God, to ritually clean, the Tameh, I mean, Tahor to Tameh, or Tameh to Tahor, I'm sorry, being ritually unclean to ritually clean, since any time a person is to come into the presence of God, they must come Tahor, pure. So we must be pure before God. So we're going from this unclean, this unfit status 
in the presence of God to being ritually pure before him. And so the mikvah, therefore, is commanded in Scripture for a number of common events. Scripture instructs us that anyone who becomes ritually unclean through contact with a dead or a diseased person needs to be immersed in water before re-entering the temple. A mikvah is also to take place after a leper had been declared healed by the priest, right? And we know this through our scriptures. We've, we've read these stories. We know. We know that the, the, the account of Naaman, when he had leprosy and he was told to immerse seven times in the Jordan and he wanted to go to his homeland and immerse there, wasn't that water good? And so he did it, he listened, and he was cleaned. So the Lord said to Moses, if we look to Leviticus 14, and starting in verse 1, and just some, um, some uh, verses here, the Lord said to Moses, these are the regulations for the diseased person. At the time of his ceremonial cleansing, he must wash his clothes and bathe himself with water, and he will be clean. Also in Leviticus 15, verse 19, a woman who completes her menstrual cycle needs to be immersed before resuming sexual relations with her husband. Today, one of the most widely practiced uses of the mikvah is in the pre-wedding ceremony, the preparation of the bride and the groom. It's a way of becoming ritually pure before the marriage. Obviously, the primary significance of this mikvah isn't for physical cleansing, right? But for spiritual cleansing. As Peter says in 1 Peter 3.21, he says that the waters of immersion is not the removal of dirt from the body, but one's pledge to keep a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Yeshua, the Messiah. Amen? Amen. Furthermore, in 1 Peter 3, verses 18 and 20, he goes on to say that what God used to cleanse uh, the earth in this similar manner in the days of Noah. He says, For Messiah also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who formerly were disobedient when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight souls, were saved through water. So when Noah and his family went through the flood, it was like going through a mikvah, an immersion into new life. Why? Because as it says in Genesis 6, verses 11 and 12, the earth was so corrupt before God, and the earth was so filled with violence, and it's becoming that way today in many aspects, right? Yeshua said, as in the days of before he comes, it'll be like in the days of Noah, but this time he's going to baptize and immerse the earth in fire and not water to cleanse the sin. But further 
Further along, he says, God looked upon the earth. And what did he say? He said, indeed, it was corrupt. For all flesh has corrupted their way on the earth. Furthermore, he says, God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence through them. And behold, I will destroy them with the earth. And so I am bringing floodwaters on the earth to destroy from under heaven all flesh that is in heaven. In the breath of life, everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall go into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. So here Noah is like the forerunner of Yeshua immersion, and at the end times, the new heavens and the new earth that are going to be born again. And so what did Yeshua say to Nicodemus? You must be born again. And this term born again originated in Judaism. It referred to a a Gentile, a non-Jewish believer who had undergone a formal conversion to Judaism. So the Talmud states in uh, Yevamot uh, 47, it says, When he comes up after his immersion, he is deemed an Israelite in all respects. And Rabbi Yosef says in the Talmud, One who has become a proselyte is like a child newly born. So Yeshua wasn't preaching anything new here. All right, The sages knew what he was talking about. And so in John chapter 1, what does Yeshua John answered them, he says, I baptize with water, but there stands one among you who you do not know. It is he coming after me who is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I am not able to loose. And the next day, what happened? We read that Yeshua, or John saw Yeshua coming toward him and said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is he who I said, after me comes a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me. I did not know him, but he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore, I came baptizing with water. And so John bore witness, right? We know this account, right? This is like 101 here, but let's go through it. He goes, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and it remained upon him. I did not know him, but he who sent me baptized with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with what? The Holy Spirit, the Ruach HaKadosh. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. And understanding that term born again referred to conversion to Judaism, it sheds light on the conversation between Yeshua and the sage Nicodemus in the book of John. Now it might make more sense to us if it was confusing to us before, just like it was to him, because what did Nicodemus say in John 3, 4? He said, how can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Sorry, I lost my spot here. So 
So from a Jewish perspective, and what did Yeshua say? He said, a man must be born, as I started the, today, a man must be born of water and spirit. And so from a Jewish perspective, Nicodemus is saying, he's asking Yeshua, he says, how can I convert to Judaism if I'm already a Jew? That's what he's asking. That's what Nicodemus is asking Yeshua. And he was explaining to Nicodemus that we cannot rely on our Jewishness or any other heritage to enter the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. A conversion of what must take place? A conversion of our heart is necessary for salvation. You know, Judaism regards the mikvah as a symbolic expression of rebirth. The mikvah represents the mother's womb, which is called in Hebrew the rachem. This comes from the same root word as the Hebrew word mercy, the rehamah. And so what Yeshua is saying is that immersing fully into waters of the mikvah is like re-entering the womb, the place of mercy, of God's creative power. Emerging from the mikvah is like being born again. Do you get it? Am I, am I losing you? Are you falling asleep out here? Immersion in a mikvah also represents death and resurrection. A person underwater enters a death-like state. That's why we don't sprinkle. We don't sprinkle water. You can't enter into a death-like state if I'm just sprinkling you with water. You must be immersed in the water. So a person underwater enters this death-like state. And it's like a person descending into the grave. And when he comes back up, he or she comes back up out of the water, they come back to life as a new creation. Amen? And that's what it's all about. That's the picture, right? Death and burial, death and resurrection, because these bodies are going to wear out. They're already wearing out. Every day that we live, our bodies are wearing out. We're becoming old and sick, and eventually we're going to die. And what is our hope? What is our hope? The resurrection. And so unless we are born of this of the water and of the Spirit, unless we have the Spirit of God within us, how are we going to be resurrected? What are we going to be resurrected to? We need the Spirit of God dwelling within us to be able to take part in that redemption, in that resurrection. When we are immersed into Yeshua HaMashiach, we also become a new creation. As Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Messiah, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Paul understood this death and rebirth imagery of the immersion. And he compared it to the death and resurrection of Yeshua. As he says in Romans chapter 6, Verses 3 and 4, he says, Don't you know that all who are immersed into Messiah Yeshua were immersed into what? His death. We were therefore buried with him through what? Immersion. Into death in order that just as Messiah was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Amen? So Yeshua, the mikvah, 
is the hope of Israel. So what do I mean by that? In Hebrew, the word mikvah has the same root letters as the word hope. The prophet Jeremiah used the word mikvah in the sense of hope in Jeremiah 17, 13. Jeremiah says, O Lord, the hope, the mikvah he uses there, the hope of Israel. All who forsake you will be ashamed because they have forsaken the Lord. The what? The fountain of living water. Can you guys see the slides okay? Thank you, Ben, for helping me with fix those. They're still small on the back, so I have to use my screen. But when believers are immersed in the waters of the mikvah as a declaration of faith in Yeshua, they have the hope of a new life, a new beginning in Him, right? And so we are called into His glory. We are called into His family. And we are called, we are changed, we have become a new creation in Him, In Matthew 3, verses 1 through 6, John the Immerser said, as he was immersing people in the Jordan River, he arrived in the desert and began proclaiming the message, turn from your sins to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. And confessing their sins, they were immersed by him in the Jordan River. His message of turn and repent is the message of Teshuvah. It is the message of immersion. It is the message of hope. It is the message of being born again. And Teshuvah is a familiar message during the High Holy Days, especially during Yom Teruah, the Feast of Trumpets, and Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And during these feasts of the Lord, we are to assess our spiritual condition and turn back to God. In Luke 24... In verses 44 to 45, Yeshua says, These are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law, the Torah of Moshe, and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the Scriptures. So again, Yeshua was not teaching anything new. He was constantly going back to the Tanakh because that was the word of the day, right? The Tanakh, that's all there was. So he was going back to the Tanakh and he was showing them what it all meant and how it all pointed to him. Everything points to Yeshua, amen? And what did he say going on in, in verse 46 of Luke? He said, thus it is written and thus it was necessary for the Messiah to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of those things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power. From on high. That power is like dynamite, luminous, from power on high. So remember, Yeshua, at the very beginning, he said, We must be born of water and of spirit. 
So all this time they have been immersing people. John's been immersing. They've been immersing throughout history. But only very few people received the Ruach HaKodesh in all the history until when? The day of Shavuot. And so at Passover, right, if you go through the holy days, right, this is why it's so important to know and understand the plan of God through the holy days, that on Passover our sins are forgiven, right, and we are washed clean by his blood. On the days of unleavened bread, we are to eat the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. We are to begin to live sinless lives because we have just been forgiven and cleansed by the blood of Messiah. And then what happens? At Shavuot, on Pentecost, the Holy Spirit was given through repentance, through immersion, and the laying on of hands. And I'm going to go through those steps here in a few minutes. Let's turn to Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. I think I have a couple of slides that are kind of wordy, so I may just paraphrase things here, Kathy. So when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Can you imagine being there during this time? It must have been, i tell you, what a blessed setting that they were in to experience this. And then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Ruach, the Holy Spirit, and began to speak with other tongues, other languages, as the Spirit gave them utterance. And then later, Peter, he's quoting in Joel, and he's talking about in the last days, says God, from in, in Acts 2.17, he says, In the last days, says God, I will pour out what? My spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. We know this scripture, right? Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. All right? And then it talks about the blood and the fire. And we know all this is going to happen before the coming of the day of the Lord. So let me ask you, are we seeing that today? Are we seeing this happen today? I would say in parts, in pieces, here and there, but not like it should be. Why? What is keeping us from this power on high? What is keeping us from going out like the apostles did, like Yeshua did, and have this power on high? Do we have the Spirit of God within us or don't we? How do you know? Are you using it? How do you use it? How do you know when to use it? How do you know when to fire it up? Or has it been, or has your lives become, have our lives become so lackadaisical, so consumed with work, with Facebook, with our phones, these little idols that we carry around all the time and have to attend to them from morning to night? Are we preaching the Word of God? Are we going out and laying hands on people? Are we healing people? Are we praying for people? Are we cleansing people? Is the power of the Ruach alive within us? And if not, I have a solution. And I'm going to share with you. So Peter goes on in Acts 2 and 37. He says, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said, what should we do? 
And Peter said, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Yeshua HaMashiach for the remission of sins. And you will shall receive what? The gift. It's a gift. You don't have to buy it. It's a gift of the Holy Spirit. Freely given to us. We just have to accept it. For the promises to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. You know, our brother Matthew here, he was talking about there's this breach going on, right? And I'm telling you, there is a breach. There's a revival going on, not only in America, but throughout the whole world. And I'm telling you, when I go to the Philippines, the people are on fire. They want to know about God. They want to know about the holy days. They want to know about the Shabbats. And they're hungry for the word of God. And they don't let anything get in their way. And they come for miles and miles and miles to come and hear the word of God. You know, we complain if it's too cold or too hot or if we have to travel too far. If it's more than 15 minutes, 20 minutes, sometimes we complain about things, right? But I know people who travel for days to come when I'm there for Sukkot, not to hear me, but to hear the word of God, that they know that there is a person there, that there's people there, they're worshiping, they're praising, they're learning about God, they're learning about his holy days, and they want to be a part of it. And so they come, and they're excited to be there. And they keep me up so late at night, I can hardly get any sleep when I'm there. I'm like two weeks there of like no sleep, going from morning to night. And it's exhausting, but it's so fulfilling. And it's so much fun. And to see the fruit that is being produced. We already have two congregations planted. I bet I could, I think we could plant probably a dozen congregations there if I had the resources and the time to be able to go there and minister to the people. So I'm going there for three weeks this Wednesday. I'm leaving Wednesday for the Philippines for three weeks, and I'm traveling to like five different islands. And I'm going to be meeting with I don't know how many people. And I have no idea what the Lord is going to do while I'm there. But I know he's going to do something exciting. I have plans, but I know the Lord directs the steps because things happen there that I never planned for. And I know he has something in mind. And I know good fruit is being produced. So I keep going back to water it and to water it and to feed it and to feed it so that more fruit will grow up so that I can teach others so others can teach their uh, their congregations. And the Lord keeps putting these new messianic leaders, these Christian pastors who are forsaken Sunday and they're, they want to keep the Shabbat and they want to turn their congregation into a messianic congregation and they're asking for our help. So I'm going over there to help people do that during this trip. I don't have all the knowledge. I don't have all the wisdom. I don't know a little bit of what I should know. But the Lord is using us as a tool to go over and plant seeds. And then I get out of the way. And I let the Ruach take over. And every week they send me pictures on Facebook. During Passover. I wasn't there for Passover. But I gave them some instructions. I said, hey, do the foot washing. Get together. Have the Seder. Here's the steps. Do it. And they're sending me pictures. They got a whole line down the, the, the one sidewalk and they got chairs on each side and there's men and women and they're kneeling down and they're washing each other's feet. And then they send me pictures of the tables and they're all set with the satyrs. And they have never done this before. And they're doing it just like we do. And it's exciting and they're filled with the ruach and they're gonna set, I'll tell you, they're gonna set Asia on fire. And now with North Korea, Opening up, I'm, I'm telling you, the word of God is going to go to North Korea sooner than we expect it. And it's already going to go to China. It's already in China. 
Do you know there's 120 million Christian believers in China? They're all underground. My brother, Zach, who came to Sukkot, he's from Houston, but he was in China teaching. He, he came to Sukkot with us, and he's teaching in, in Shanghai right now. And he's teaching people about Torah underground. He's teaching his students. They're coming to him and asking him about the Torah. So what happened then after Peter's speech in Acts? I'm just going to go through a couple of scriptures. It says in Acts 2.41 that those who received the word were baptized. And that day, 3,000 souls were added. In Acts 8.12, when Philip was preaching, he, both men and women were being baptized. In Acts 11.16, he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed on the Lord with all his household, and many of the Corinthians believed and were baptized in Acts 18. So we have all, you know, the early churches starting, and they're just going out everywhere. And people are believing, and they're being immersed, and they're, um, they're receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit, and they're going out and sharing it. How do you think the world became like it is? This few men, these early believers, they went out and they set the whole world on fire and spread, you know, Messianic Christianity, however you want to say it, throughout the whole world. And then we know it got a little messy down the road, but we won't go there right now. But he's coming back. Yeshua is regathering everybody back, the whole house of Israel. He's regathering back because he's about ready to come and claim his bride. And what did he say? Unless you are baptized by the water in the Spirit, you will not enter into the kingdom of God. So we better make sure that we have been baptized with the water in the Spirit so that we know that we are going to be part of that kingdom of God when Yeshua returns. And so in Acts 8, in, in verses 4 to 8, and you can read this, he says, They were scattered everywhere, and they went about preaching the word, and unclean spirits were being delivered, and many were healed, and there was great joy in the city. And then in Acts 8, verse 9, he says there was a man called Simon, right? We know this guy, right? Simon, who previously preached sorcery in the city. And he astonished the people of Samaria, claiming that he was someone great. And, he, and they said that this man has the great power of God. And they heeded him because he astonished them with all his sorceries. And what did he do? Notice, um, at the time when Philip was coming... And he saw that, you, that they were being baptized and immersed in the kingdom in the name of Yeshua, that Simon himself also believed. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip and was amazed seeing the miracles. And then notice on verse 14, that when he sent Peter and John to them, they came down and they prayed for them, right? These new believers, they prayed for them because the Ruach um, had not come on them yet. And as, and when he, when he uh, baptized them in the name of the Lord Yeshua, they laid hands on them. And when they laid hands on them, they received the Holy Spirit. And when Simon, the sorcerer, saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Spirit was given, what did he do? He tried to buy it, right? I just told you it was a free gift. Yeshua and John told us it's a free gift, but Simon wanted to buy this power. He said, give me this power also that on anyone whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. 
And what did Peter say to him? He says, your money perish with you in verse 20 because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. It's got to come from the heart and it's a free gift. And you have to know where your heart is to receive that gift. And what did Peter say to him? He says, you have neither part nor portion in this matter for your heart is not right in the sight of God. So, brethren, is our hearts right with the sight of God right now, in the sight of God? Are our hearts right? I pray, yes. And he said to him, Repent, therefore, of this your wickedness, and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you, for I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. And I pray that that's none of us, brethren. So let's look at the next slide, Kathy. The three requirements to receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit. Number one, repentance of your sins and accepting Yeshua as your Savior. Has everybody in here done that? No? No? No one's repented and received Yeshua as a... What are you here for? <laughs> repentance of your sins and accept Yeshua as your Savior. I hope and pray everyone has done that here. Point number two, being totally immersed, symbolizing your death, burial, and resurrection to a new creation in Messiah Yeshua. When David gets back, he's going to do an immersion service. I know there's like 10 or 12 people in here. I don't know if they're here today. I know a few are. There's like 10 or 12 people who want to be immersed right now. They've been waiting to be immersed. So uh, David was uh, excited that I was going to give this message because it fit right in with what he was planning to do. So when David comes back, he's going to have an immersion service. Um, I don't know when he's going to have it, but when he comes back, he will explain that to him, to you. And then the third requirement, which a lot of people miss, because the scriptures sometimes aren't real clear on, but we just read that it is clear, having hands laying on you, not just from any person, but from a person of authority who has the Spirit of God in them. What did Moses do with Joshua, right? He passed the baton to him. What did Elijah do with Elisha? He passed the baton. We passed the Spirit goes from spirit to spirit, from a person who has the spirit of God, a person of authority who can immerse you and lay hands on you and you will receive. He's not giving you the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is coming from God, but it's a process, right? God is a God of order. He is a God of process. Yeshua went through the process. Do you, do you think Yeshua didn't have the spirit of God when he was immersed in the Jordan? But he went through the process he went through the process that was contained in the Tanakh. He fulfilled everything that was in the Tanakh, didn't he? But he was the Son of God. And he went through the process so that all would be fulfilled. So, brethren, we have to go through the process too. So if you have not gone through the process, go through the process. Receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And if you think you have the Holy Spirit, or if you've been immersed and you're not fired up about it or it's not firing up within you, but then it might be time to rededicate yourself to God. Okay, there's nothing wrong with going through a rededication. 
There's nothing wrong with being immersed again and having hands laid on you. There's nothing that says in the Scripture that you only have to do it once. Sometimes you can recommit yourself, and we should be recommitting ourselves. I've recommitted myself several times throughout my walk. And so what did uh, Yeshua say in Matthew 28, verse 19? What did he give us? What was his ending statement, his ending commission, right? They call it the Great Commission. And he commands us, right? It's not just a suggestion. He commands us to go, therefore, and make disciples of all of the nations. Doing what? Immersing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Ruach HaKadosh. In Acts 21, starting in verse 14, it says, The God of our fathers has chosen you, chosen each of us, that you should know his will and see the just one and to hear the voice of his mouth. Why? For you will be his witnesses to all men in what you have seen and heard. And so, brethren, I ask you, what's holding you back? Why are you waiting Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Amen? Amen. Shabbat shalom.